0: It's April 3rd, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. This is Christopher Millard. The National Arts Centre Orchestra descends into the pit for the next two weeks as we become an opera orchestra. Opera Lyra presents the Ottawa premiere of Verdi's final masterpiece, Falstaff, featuring Gaetan Laperrière as Sir John Falstaff. Performances at Southam Hall are April 8th, 10th, 12th and 15th. In today's NACOcast, I'm very pleased to have conductor Tyrone Patterson as my guest. Ty is currently enjoying his eighth season as Artistic Director and Principal Conductor of Opera Lyra Ottawa. He also serves as an advisor to Opera Hong Kong and is the Principal Conductor for Manitoba Opera. Ty's recent conducting engagements include Turandot for the Vancouver, Calgary and Edmonton operas, A CAV Pag with Manitoba Opera, Lucia for Opera Carolina, Aida for the Nashville Opera and Medea in Palermo, Italy. Next month, he will be in the Czech Republic for a new production of Figaro. <laughs> Ty Patterson, welcome to our NACOcast. I want to begin by reading to you something from the great Shakespearean critic Harold Bloom in his book Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human. He writes, Falstaff is a miracle in the creation of personality, and his enigmas rival those of Hamlet. Each is first and foremost an absolutely individual voice. No other personages in Western literature rival them in mastery of language. Falstaff's prose and Hamlet's verse give us a cognitive music that overwhelms us even as it expands our minds to the ends of thoughts. They are beyond our last thought, and they have an immediacy that by the pragmatic test constitutes a real presence, one that all current theorists and ideologues insist literature cannot even intimate, let alone sustain. But Falstaff persists After four centuries, and he will prevail centuries after our fashionable knowers and resenters have become alms for oblivion. So we have uh, this amazing opera by Verdi. The source material is, of course, The Merry Wives of Windsor, which is, by most critics, um, agree that it's not the strongest of Shakespeare's play, and yet Falstaff is one of the arguably the two greatest characters in Shakespeare, made most famous by his appearances in Henry IV, Part One, Henry IV, Part Two. Can you talk a little bit about how do you react to this idea of Falstaff as being such an incredible individual voice?
1: Well, I think Verdi would agree, because uh, as you know, Verdi was not known for his uh, comedic writing. He didn't write uh, comedies. And... Uh, He began his career with an attempt which was somewhat dismal, and he steered away from it until Falstaff. And his reason being that he felt there simply were no stories that were good enough that spoke to him in that sense, you know, uh, uh, to to inspire him to create a masterpiece, uh, which would be a comedy, until really the very end of his career. And this was the last opera that he created. And uh, he said, finally, I have found found the story that... uh, that I can bring to life through music.
0: Is the fall stuff, the fall stuff entirely of The Merry Wives of Windsor, or do you think it's the larger character from the Henry Fourth plays?
1: Well, it's definitely a combination. There's no question about that. And then, of course, it goes through another transition with um, with the librettist, Boito. Mm-hmm. And uh, he worked with Boito on his 2nd uh, last great creation, which was uh, Otello, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, we are performing next season. Yes. <laughs> and um, so that seemed to be a very good match, a very good pair. Boito was able to find uh, a rhythm of the, of the language and also a rhythm of the, uh, of, of the story that worked well with, uh, with Verdi's uh, ability to write comedy, which is really fascinating because the piece that, he can, that he's uh, been able to put together with, this, uh, with his Falstaff is by far the most unique opera that, that he was able to create.
0: Unique in the sense of the vocal writing? Unique in the sense of dramatic structure or orchestra writing? In what ways?
1: Well, actually, all of those ways. Of course, he wanted to create a piece for himself, actually. He had decided at this time of his life that he uh, was going to write the opera for himself, as opposed to writing it for the audience, writing it for a particular theater, writing it to please the critics. It was, he, he, this really spoke to him, and he decided he wanted to write something uh, for himself. And as he would, apparently, as the stories go, and in, in his letters, or many of his letters are, are published, he mentions that uh, while he was working on the piece, he would just have to stop and break out laughing because mm-hmm. uh, he found the the story to be so so hilarious and with the 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 orchestration and he what he did is he broke his own convention the the convention of opera that was expected to follow certain rules and certain roadmap as it were, he definitely broke away from that. Uh, with the creation of Falstaff and you'll find, for example, there's no there's no overture. We just immediately burst into the story although uh, it, Some critics have said that the entire opening scene, which is about 16 minutes long can in itself be considered an overture because it falls uh, in a loose uh, in a loose way a sonata form, but nevertheless uh, he still broke away with convention. There really are very few arias per se in Falstaff. Um, we don't have an aria where uh, a, a singer is just reflecting on emotions and such uh, which stops the which stops the action. Um, does, there,
0: does more of that come from the orchestra than it would in earlier Verdi? in other words if you if you consider that how information is delivered in an opera mm-hmm. if you look back at mozart we have recitative and there's mm-hmm. so much of what the story is is informative and the and the music colors the characters but has very taken a step beyond this definitely no question because there are Certainly, he uses
1: spoken recitative in the sense of uh, all throughout the opera, but he brings it to life with the orchestra, and it's not the old style of of accompanied recitative where there would be an occasional occasional punctuation with the core, or with the orchestra rather. Um, but in it is much more much more advanced, and and uh, he is able to bring that that story to life through all this constant motion that he has uh, with the uh, music that that he's been able to do in the orchestration it's really quite fascinating that he actually is is experimenting with different sounds in the orchestra as well and different colors although he still has some of the old traditions such as using a, a horn to be uh, off in the off in the distance giving uh uh, a hunter giving the, the uh, hunter's horn, uh, for example, which is used a lot in, in many of the operas. But he has fun because uh, he was a bassoon player. There are many times where Falstaff is is uh, actually being accompanied with the bassoons, and uh, often the bassoon is associated with uh, a, a fun or funny character. The clown of the orchestra. <laughs> at times, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's really it's, it's interesting how he would pair uh, Falstaff uh, with just the, the bassoons.
0: Well is Verdi's Falstaff primarily a clown? No,
1: I don't think so. I think that he uh, we certainly laugh with him. I'm not entirely sure that we always laugh at him, but he... because I think we can relate to him in some ways. You know, he's, he's not what he used to be. He was a great knight and quite a, a ladies' man in his day, and now he's discovered that he is uh, old, grey, fat, and broke, and, uh, you know, it's uh, not a great position to find,
0: find himself in. In the Henriad plays, Henry Fourth, Parts 1 and 2, Falstaff is an intellect beyond almost all comparison, except perhaps with, with Hamlet, as critics have talked about. Is the Verdi Falstaff imbued with an overarching intelligence?
1: No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think he's robbed of that in this opera. Um, in fact, he really is a bit dense when it comes to the women at times because he falls into the trap
0: more than once. Well, let's talk about this a little bit, just to give an, an outline of of what happens it, it doesn't deviate too much from The Merry Wives of Windsor. It was a couple of character changes, but could you just give me a quick synopsis of what the, what befalls this poor fellow?
1: Well, I'll try and give you the Reader's Digest version. It's it's a rather com- complicated story, as it often is in, in opera. But uh, as I said, he's uh, he's not what he used to be, and he tries to figure out, uh, uh, he tries to come up with a plan how he can improve his situation, and this plan would include... Um, writing love letters to beautiful women uh, with the hope of benefiting financially through this relationship eventually. So uh, tapping into the purse strings of their husbands mm-hmm. is, the, is the goal. So he sends out these love letters and these two beautiful women uh, discover that they have been sent absolutely identical uh, love letters from Falstaff. And so they get together and decide to teach him a lesson. This lesson uh, results in him eventually being Uh, hidden in a laundry basket because uh, one of the angry husbands has uh, has come home and uh, there's danger of him being discovered and then eventually this laundry basket is thrown out the window and into the river with Falstaff in it.
0: Unfortunately the river is shallow at that
1: point. (laughs) So once he gets home and soaking wet and you know licking his wounds and trying to warm up he still has not given up hope on his his plan and he still thinks that he's uh, quite an attractive uh, Catch for for any woman, and uh, it's not not unreasonable for him to expect that he two beautiful women could easily fall in love with him. So he continues down this path, and uh, the women aren't finished yet, and uh, they they come back and and invite invite him to yet another rendezvous. This time in the uh, this time in the woods, and uh, so he comes uh, to the woods and uh, they, they actually end up scaring him a little bit. There are some you know, goblins and spirits and such about in the woods, and uh, they, they actually push him around a little bit and, and get him rather scared. Uh, and uh, eventually he catches on that they are all making fun of him, and he is being made a fool of once again. Uh, but by this time he uh, decides that uh, there's nothing really to be done about it except laugh, and uh, be part of the joke and uh, everyone, uh, the opera ends with uh, everyone singing uh, Tutto nel no mondo e burla, which means everything in the world is a joke. Everybody uh, it joins in the hilarity and the excitement
0: of it. It ends well.
1: It ends very well. It, it's a fascinating uh, end to the opera because this is, uh, of course, there are always ensembles in opera, and Verdi is the master of writing ensembles. But this opera, in particular, is extremely intricate and detailed ensembles uh, throughout the piece, and it ends with uh, with a fugue that is extremely difficult, with uh, entrances uh, everywhere, with fourteen different parts, fourteen different vocal parts uh, happening at once, and it's, it's uh, really. Uh, uh, Fascinating how he ties all of this together with uh, the vocal parts and the orchestra. That's a wonderful way to end the opera. I remember years ago, actually, uh, with a performance of Falstaff, uh, and the tenor uh, never actually did get his, uh, his part right in the fugue for any of the performances, so we're hoping that uh, we'll be more
0: successful than that. So we have a synopsis of, uh, of, the, of the opera. Now, I want to go back to uh, the influence of Boito, Verdi had essentially retired after Simon Boccanegra. Am I right with my history there?
1: Yes, uh, he, he he had decided that that was it. And how,
0: there was a number of years where he didn't produce an opera.
1: Yes, I was right. It was quite a few years that went by.
0: And then the then the two final operas, Otalo and Falstaff, right. came very late. And Falstaff, at the very end of his life, he was in yeah. his 80s. That's right, yeah. yeah. You know, I heard a wonderful uh, interview on uh, Saturday afternoon in the opera last weekend about Verdi. And it turns out he was an amazing gourmand and ate right up to within two weeks of his death, was still partying and eating and drinking very well. Anyway, (laughs) I want to get back to why is it that the dynamics of Boito and the Shakespearean text that that attracted Verdi back to writing these last great operas?
1: You know, Verdi wasn't a big fan of Boito uh, in his early days. And it wasn't until as you say with those those last two great operas that they created together Otello and Falstaff Boito was who He was one of the one of the great uh, librettists for, uh, he, for for opera he was somebody that uh, many of the composers uh, turned to and uh, trusted to take uh, uh, stories whether they be mm-hmm. plays or uh, that already existed and turn them uh, uh, will basically make them singable
0: What is it about Shakespeare's source material and Boito, that grabbed Verdi. Well,
1: again, I think it was it was the the story itself. I mean, Falstaff in many ways is a tragic figure, even though it's a comedy and we're laughing at him. You know, you you still you still feel sorry for him in many ways, and none of us would want to find ourselves in that position at that time of our lives when we're. Perhaps a little on the heavy side, or a little mm-hmm. uh, gray and old, and also be broke, and uh, be you know become a joke yourself. So I think that this 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 uh, concept was something that uh, really played well for made made a lot of sense for Verdi to. If, it, it may very well tie into the fact that he was at that time of life himself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yet was able to find something fun with it, and not just. Uh, as he, as he ends the opera, everything in the world is a joke, and he's able to laugh at, at the world, laugh at his life, laugh at his critics. <laughs> uh, it's uh, had a very different opinion a, a, about life at that time,
0: and I, I think that that could have a lot to mm-hmm. do with it. Yeah. Uh, and who have you chosen for your false staff for this production?
1: Well, we have uh, uh, Gaetan LaPerriere, is a fantastic uh, Canadian uh, Baritone, who has sung with opera Lira a number of times uh, over the years, has in fact sung all over the world, is uh, truly now one of the uh, leading uh, singers in Canada. And this is the first time that he uh, that he's singing this role. And he's very, very excited about it. You know, it was interesting because I was conducting uh, rigoletto with him a couple of years ago, and we first started talking about doing Falstaff. And, uh... I was interested in him singing Ford, actually. It's a role that he has sung a number of times. And he said, you know, I I feel I'm ready now at this time of my life to sing uh, sing Falstaff. And I, I really feel I'd be perfect for it at, and, and at this time in my life. And so we discussed it further, and, and I absolutely agreed with him. And uh, so it's great for us to be giving him an opportunity to do this for the first time. And so thus far in rehearsals, it's absolutely spectacular.
0: How does a singer make this kind of self-assessment? Is he ready vocally? Is he ready dramatically? Does it have to do with tessiture? Does it have to do with duration?
1: Yes, <laughs> all, all, of, all those. of those things, really it does, because now he's he's at an age where the voice is certainly uh, matured and is, uh, you know, the voice continues to change all throughout one's life, Yes, and uh, so now he definitely has the right colors uh, in the voice and the experience to find all of these colors too, um, and dramatically as well, because it's extremely challenging uh, Many people feel it's more difficult to uh, to perform comedy than 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 straight mm-hmm. uh, theater, as they say. But even uh, you know the more dramatic opera, uh, where it, it tends to be a little bit more—they call it uh, you know park and bark—just uh, mm-hmm. to to stand on stage and deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is much more detailed. So certainly you have to have a good uh, stage craft and developed, well-developed stage craft as well as the voice. Your stage director is name is Glennis Leishon It's the first time mm-hmm. she's come to Opera Lyra. Uh, she's a wonderful stage director. Of
0: course, Ward- I, I know her work very well, having lived in Vancouver. Oh, of course, and she was uh, is still the artistic Artis- director
1: of the of the Vancouver Playhouse. That's right. And uh, she, uh, we had an opportunity to work together a number of years ago on on a really fun production of The Merry Widow. We've tried. Uh, uh, time and again to, to get our schedules to work, and they never have until this time. And I think Falstaff is actually the perfect opportunity for her to make her debut here. It's, uh, it suits her very well. She's very funny herself. Um, and uh, with being a theatre director, she is able to find a, a lot of nuance uh, which, uh, which is needed for an opera like this.
0: Talk to me about the process by, by which Glynis and you and Gaetan figure out the character are you together in a room with a rehearsal pianist for hours working on the nuances in addition to the movements
1: definitely actually we we really do Um, we start we start the process by uh, just singing through and see where see where we're at see if we're all in the same page or even in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. And then once we've gone through that process, we stop and uh, the next rehearsals, we, we really just sit around uh, the table and, and discuss uh, what we're trying to accomplish, what we think the character is, what we think the text means. Because e- even if the uh, an opera is written in English, there are many different ways to interpret the words and and the meaning so uh, and of course when this is this is an Italian and so there are many 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 different ways of interpreting what is actually being said and what is the character who is the character how is the music uh, how does the music relate to the to what is being said to the words uh, so there's 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 quite a bit of discussion about that, and then as you say, we, we just start chipping away at it, and uh, with uh, with uh, we have uh, in, in piano re- rehearsals, uh, coaching with the singers, uh, working out the, the musical aspects uh, of the word too, but uh, of the work as well. But um, it is extremely important uh, to understand what is being sung, why it's being sung, what. If you change a tempo, you go a little faster or a little slower. At this point, how does it change the the mood? How does it? Uh, and then, uh, is the singer actually capable of uh, going that particular uh, tempo? Because every every singer is different, of course. Can the
0: singer lie down and sing this particular passage? This kind of question. Exactly. Yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah. Now and some
0: can, and some yeah. some can. Yeah. I'm interested in the uh, exercise of authority and power in this division. I mean, when when we talk about music and dance together uh, in ballet. A choreographer really is, is king. But in the mm-hmm. production of an opera, uh, certainly there must be more collaboration between conductor and stage director than certainly there would be in ballet for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. In this case, you also have wear the extra hat of being the artistic director of the company itself. Mm-hmm. So, do you find yourself... Uh, I don't mean this to be a sensitive question, mm-hmm. but um, do you find yourself always in a new production struggling to find a balance of, of authority and autonomy between yourself and a, a stage director?
1: Absolutely. It's uh, it's very much a collaborative affair. It's, it's not the case where uh, the conductor uh, just dictates to everybody uh, what should be happening. Certainly, it's up to the conductor to make sure that what the, the director is asking the singers to do uh is is feasible in our theater every theater is different uh, some theaters you don't have to worry so much about if you sing upstage or sing offstage uh, you can still be heard well and in, in other theaters it's much more more complicated or much more more challenging to to do that and so there are there are constant discussions when we're in the rehearsals the stage director sits right beside the conductor and we're constantly talking to each other. Say, mm, "What about this? I'm not so sure that this is going to work." Or, "Have you thought about this?" And uh, so, th- so there's there's quite a bit of discussion that goes on, and of course, uh, there's a lot of discussion with the singers themselves because, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, I feel it's my job as the conductor to help the singer sound their best. So that means I have to be flexible. It it means uh, I, I can't just come in and say, "Well." This is how I do it, and you have to adapt yourself to this, uh, my speed, my temples, my breaths, everything. Rather, we have to work together to make sure that um, the, the singer has an opportunity to perform at their best, which means sometimes I have to make some compromises as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Ty Patterson, I want to uh, to close with a, with a question about singing in Canada. I think that um, music lovers across this country must be realizing that on a per capita basis, In the last decade and a half, this country is producing more than its fair share of great singing. What's going on?
1: Well, it's a great question, actually. Um, We do, without a doubt, have some wonderful talent in this country, and there are more and more all the time. But I
0: I know, for example, I I was just uh, in the States a few weeks ago with a old friend of mine who was a, a well-known singer at the Met, and she was saying to me, what the heck are you feeding the singers up in Canada? Because there's just so many of them, the quality is, is becoming so good, yeah. it's being recognized. Yeah. Well, there's
1: there's actually always been a reputation of uh, the singers that do come out of Canada as, as being very well trained and having very, very good work ethics and et cetera. But as you say, there are more and more all the time. And in fact, in Falstaff, the entire cast, except for one uh, uh they are all Canadian.
0: Is it a question of how the companies are bringing people along, or is it a question of the, the teaching, the coaching?
1: Well I think it's a combination of all of those things. I mean, Without a doubt, the companies, uh, the companies like Opera Lear, Ottawa in any case, not all of the companies have, this, have the same mandate uh, that we have, but we certainly have a very strong mandate to, to uh, create opportunities for Canadians whenever possible. So over 90% of our performers are generally are, are Canadian performers. Other companies have similar similar mandates, and so it, it 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 allows our artists to be showcased within our own country, and uh, so that definitely is part of the part of the, the uh, success rate. I think is because they're given an opportunity um, to given an opportunity to prove themselves, as it were. Uh, certainly, there are there are more and more uh, training programs that uh, that are coming along too. Um, For example, I was just at the University of British Columbia a couple of months ago working with the students there and I was really impressed with how that program has grown over the years And uh, the quality of the students in the master's programs and the doctoral programs are really very, uh, very strong, very high.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, they're getting expert uh, training with the the singers. uh, The singers that are teaching at the University of British Columbia are very experienced uh, performers and can bring a lot of insight. So uh, with those types of programs, again, I think they're, they're getting some excellent training and opportunity.
0: can't help but feeling that your choice of Falstaff is a brilliant one for this for this city just because we have not been treated to this incredibly great and entertaining opera um, here I know the musicians and the orchestra are really looking forward to playing it's going to be the first time for most of us mm-hmm. it's going to be first time for most of the singers it'll be a first time yeah. for the audiences so I think there's going to be a real buzz in Ottawa for the next uh, couple of weeks during the production I wish you the best thank you very much for coming in and speaking with us thank you my my pleasure Tyrone Patterson is the Artistic Director and Principal Conductor for Opera Lyra, Ottawa. Opening night for their production of Verdi's Falstaff is Saturday, April 8th, with additional performances on April 10th, 12th, and 15th. Performances at Southern Hall of the National Arts Centre begin at 8 p.m. Join me for the next NACOcast on April 17th, when I will talk about our next program featuring violinist Hilary Hahn and guest conductor Arielt Ramanite. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to Nacocast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash Podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. For the National Arts Center Orchestra, this is bassoonist Christopher Millard.